Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I left my sermon notes up here after sound check this morning, and um, I only heard part of Joshua's uh, announcements, and uh, I, I did watch uh, Zach's children's sermon, and they may have reviewed my notes, because you may hear some duplication in here, but I'm going to stay on script, because I tend to get myself in trouble when I go off script. So I'm going to say good morning again. I think we're all aware that this is the first Sunday of five that we will be without the Halliburton family. After 10 years of faithful service as our senior pastor, he and Olivia and the boys are beginning a well-deserved five-week, six-Sunday sabbatical. Are you sure you didn't read these, Joshua? (laughs) As such, thus begins the first of five Sunday messages brought by our team of five elders. On August 6th, we will return to the professional realm with our own associate minister, Zach Ellsworth. Now, if you've been coming, you know Ben is an excellent expository preacher. Now, expository means directly from the Bible, verse by verse. And we elders tend to preach a more topical sermon, meaning something that is more current or topical, and then support that with biblical references. Now, just because the elders are going to preach for the next five weeks, it's not an excuse for you to take a summer vacation from church. When I was a little kid growing up in Buffalo, New York, we lived next door to the Swansons, and I always wanted to go to their church, the Presbyterian Church, because the Swansons never went to church in the summer. They always told me that the church had a summer vacation. Well, a little bit later in life, I learned that the Presbyterian Church did have summer during the summer. The Swansons just chose not to go during the summer. Well, All the guys have been working hard to deliver relevant sermons while Ben is gone. So come and hear what we got, and we'll strive to do our best. So for a couple topical things, I struggled with what to preach on. But there's a couple good things going on. And the first thing I thought about was, what does the Bible say about men and women competing athletically? But as I did the research, I very quickly learned or figured out that that would be a very short sermon. It would just be a no. That is a completely crazy idea, and I am just, I just can't fathom how organizations like the NCAA can actually approve of that. Then I thought, well, what does the Bible say about pride parades? But to be honest, that was a little more complicated and a little scary for me to tackle without running the risk of getting myself in trouble. Now, I'm not against pride parades. If somebody wants to organize and pay for a parade, go for it. What I'm against is seeing little children at a pride parade. Why on earth would a parent expose a young child to drag queens and naked men marching down the street? Nonsense. Now, as a lot of these things are happening in the world, it seems like faster and faster. I am reminded almost every day, and I take great comfort, that the Bible clearly tells us this world is not our home. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So moving on from more topical things, I thought, well, I could preach about being a husband. I have been a husband for a long time. And I should get some extra points for being married to the same person a long time. But then I thought... You know, way back when, when we had some trouble, we we went to marriage counseling. And we went to the first uh, marriage counseling. You go in there and you sit on this couch. We're sitting over here together. And first question 
he asks us to Linda and, you know, he says, Linda, are there any issues in the marriage? And for the like next 10 minutes, she just goes on and on and on of all my failures. And then he gets up from his desk and he comes over and asks her to stand up. And then all of a sudden he gives this passionate kiss for like a minute or two while I'm sitting there with my eyebrows raised. And then he stops and he tells her to sit down and he turns to me and he says, now that's exactly what your wife needs at least three times a week. Can you do this? And I looked at him and I thought for a minute and I said, well, I could bring her by on Mondays and Wednesdays, but I fish on Friday. So since we flunked marriage counseling, I decided maybe not to preach about being a husband. So my topic for today is silver boxes and what does the Bible say about social media? How should we as Christians behave or present ourselves through social media? Now, my lovely wife, Linda, chooses the safest way. She doesn't participate in any form of social media. I don't know how she does it, but none. However, most of us here do participate in various various forms. So to be fair, let me tell you, I'm basically preaching to the choir here. And the phrase preaching to the choir actually originated in the United States in the 70s during my lifetime and basically means don't waste your time arguing with people who agree with you. All of us here, I think, are pretty responsible with our use of social media. And just to let you know, I am not perfect. I looked on Twitter to see if I could find an inappropriate post that I made and I didn't have to look too far. You might remember earlier this year there was that big train derailment in Ohio and all the cover-up and conspiracy theories that arose. So on Twitter, some bozo, I mean, uh, a wonderful individual, I got off script there again, a wonderful individual created in the image of God posted this. I work for BlackRock. We are the largest owner of Norfolk Southern, the train operator that crashed in Ohio. In the bathroom today, I overheard top executives saying how they have directed mainstream media companies to black out the reporting of this disaster. This is a cover-up. So my reply, intended to be sarcastic, you have direct communication with the executive office with BlackRock. You must be Superman or Batman or maybe both. Now, in my defense, I did end with have a wonderful day. So this may or may not surprise you, but there have been times here at church when leadership has had valid scriptural reasons to reach out to folks about what has been posted on social media. And our uncomfortable attempts at loving and delicate discipleship have typically been met with resentment and embarrassment. And that's pretty normal, as nobody likes to be called out for things they say or post. So because those conversations are always awkward and uncomfortable, I've been encouraging our pastor, Ben, to, why don't you preach about what the Bible says about about appropriate behavior on social media? And if you've been around for a while, you know that's never happened. So today is my chance to do what Ben hasn't done. What does the Bible say about behavior on social media? But first, a little history. Where did social media begin? Um, before that, when I think back to my childhood and teenage years, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s. And back then, media was limited to the newspaper and the nightly news. I remember being counseled by more than my parents as to how to handle the media. It was simple. Don't ever say or write anything you wouldn't want to see on the front page of tomorrow's newspaper or hear it on the nightly news. And for the most part, I navigated those years reasonably successful. 
So before we go too much further, let's let's define social media. Social media is a collective term of websites and applications that focus on communication, community-based input, interaction, content sharing, and collaboration. Simply put, people use social media to stay in touch and interact with friends, family, and various communities. So over time, the World Wide Web, the Internet, and the advent of personal computers gave birth to social media. It seems like it's been around forever, but the first official social media site called Six Degrees, first appeared in 1997. And for most of us, our first awareness was when MySpace appeared just 20 years ago in 2003. Now, where did MySpace come from? Well, if you look it up on Wikipedia, the official version starts when a tech firm took it basically public and so forth. But it originally originated with a collaboration of five Southern California bands that were looking for new ways to promote their bands and their music. And the founders of MySpace recruited folks to go to the local bars and ask all the pretty girls to sign up or friend the site. And once they got a lot of pretty girls on board, it was much easier to promote the site to everybody else. And so it was actually pretty successful in promoting the bands. But as this little site began to grow, it attracted tech followers and attacked it and caught the attention of the tech money. And in a short time, from a site to promote bands and music, it evolved into a media site of millions. And eventually, MySpace was bought out, and Facebook became the social media darling. Fast forward to today, and Facebook still dominates, but has been joined by Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and many others. And social media is still a place to communicate with friends and collaborate with others around the world. But it has also become a place to argue, state opinions, spew hate, spread misinformation, and present itself as a forum so we can all express our conflicting views. So now that we've reviewed the definition and history of social media, it's time to answer the question, what does the Bible or Scripture tell us about social media? Does anybody want to take a guess what the Bible says about social media? I heard it. Nothing. None. So let's pray. We'll go home and eat. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But really, when we look at social media, it's just another form of communication. And the Bible does say a lot about appropriate communication. And I think we can all agree, all of our communication comes from our heart and our individual character. Social media is just the newest form of communication. Now, old worldly tactics can still help us. You know, never tweet or post something that you will regret. Because now it's forever. When you're tempted to disagree, educate someone, or try to convince another of your view or an opinion, maybe use old-fashioned restraint and don't reply. Or as the old wily Will Rogers would say, never miss a good time to shut up. You know, because that person doesn't really care what you think or what your opinion is. They're just looking for a click. Or if you think your view or opinion is so good, perhaps protect yourself by sleeping on it and see how you feel the next morning. And maybe it won't be as emotional. Also, as Will Rogers would say, after eating an entire bowl, a mountain lion felt so good, he started roaring. He kept it up until a hunter came along and shot him. The moral of the story, when you're full of bull, keep your mouth shut. And then just for some extra 
gifts here. This has nothing to do with communication, but it's one of my favorites from Will Rogers. Never slap a man that's chewing tobacco. Now, God tells us in his word that the tongue has incredible power. And we can use our tongue to bring blessings in life or curses and death. The saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt, is simply not true. Our tongues can be the most difficult thing to control and leave us with great regret if we use our words to hurt. But there's hope. The Bible tells us, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can have power and control over our tongue or our fingers. My favorite verse is Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul language or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And I looked in the Bible. What else could I find to kind of chastise us as to behave and use the appropriate words on social media? And I found hundreds, but I just copied a few of my favorites that I'll share. First Peter 3. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Proverbs 26. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Colossians 6. Let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Proverbs 21. Those who guard their mouths and tongue keep themselves from calamity. Proverbs 12. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. And finally, Proverbs 15. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Now, I want to take a minute and interject some guidance about the World Wide Web, the Internet, and social media, and how it affects all of us. Here's the takeaway. What you see on social media, the Internet, and the World Wide Web is not reality. It's all about clicks and likes and generating traffic to monetize the tweet or the post. You and I are the product that is being taken advantage of. And if you're a parent, this would be a good reason why you should want to be a POS. Maybe not the POS you're thinking of, the piece of, but parent over the shoulder of your children. Have that talk where you explain what the World Wide Web and social media really is. Someone did a survey about 20 years ago. I'm not big on surveys because I know how they do them and I know who does them, but they are somewhat of a guide. And 20 years ago, the results found that 5 to 10 percent of the teens were unhappy with their life. And that same company did the survey more recently and found that 50 percent of teens were unhappy with their life. Now, is that any surprise that the World Wide Web and social media maybe might be the major reason for this increase? Your child goes online and they think what they're seeing is reality, that everybody is more successful, that everybody is better looking and has more friends. So it's easy for them to think their life stinks. So please guard yourself and be a parent to your children. Perhaps even peruse their devices from time to time. Where are they going and who are they connecting with on social media? Protect your children by knowing what's going on. Talk to them. Listen to them. Listen to the conversations they're having with their friends. Be that parent over the shoulders. And sometimes it will be difficult, but learn to say no when you need to say no. There's two kinds of no's. There's the immediate no where there's no time for feedback. When your child or teen's about to run out in the street in front of a semi, it's just no. And then there's the other no, and that's the no, but let me tell you why. 
And if, the, if a discussion ensues about your reasoning and the answer still needs to be no, then you need to develop strong no muscles and keep it a no. When I was a teen living in Indianapolis, every nightly news channel would open with the question, it's 11 o'clock, do you know where your children are? There was even an 11 p.m. curfew in force for those under 18. And if you were under 18 and got caught out after 11 p.m., you either got arrested or taken home to mom and dad, which was not a pleasant experience. I know from experience. Um, again, I'm not I'm preaching to the choir, but I suspect a great deal more parents don't know where their children are after 11 p.m. than back in the 1970s. So I think our biggest challenge as Christians is not only to keep from using words that defile, criticize, blame, retaliate, or are harsh to others, but how can we use words to build up and encourage others? So if you've been wondering about the title of my message and how Silver Boxes ties into what does the Bible say about social media, um, there's a story there I'll share. I sent an email to Josh with that in the subject line and his wife Erin saw it and I misspelled boxes and I put boxers and she responded that while I could expect this type of behavior from my husband I'm disappointed in you Rick and so I tweeted I emailed back said do you not like dogs and then my wife reminded I think she's thinking about a different kind of boxer but it's none of those All right, let me find out. Where am I now? Let's see. Oh, and then we had another glitch. Um, I was going to use a a YouTube clip of Christian author and speaker Florence Litauer explaining where the silver boxes originated. And Joshua Walker helped me overcome all the technical glitches to show it on the screen and stream it. And then on Thursday night, he texted me and says, hey, I think we got a problem. There might be some copyright issues. So after the discussion, we decided the better part of valor was not to use that clip. And so I'm going to do my best to um, tell you about the story of silver boxes that Florence would tell you much, much better. All right, let's see. I've got to find out where he is. So Florence was, was at a, um, a church and she was doing a, a leadership seminar. And she stayed over on Sunday to go to church. And during the morning announcements, the pastor wanted to recognize Florence, so he asked her to come forward. And while she was walking down the aisle, he said, hey, why don't we have Florence do the children's sermon? That caught her by surprise, because she had never done a children's sermon. She didn't have anything ready, but she felt she couldn't announce halfway down the aisle, I don't do children's sermons. So as all the children gathered up front, like we did this morning, Florence said she shot up an emergency prayer. She said, Lord, please give me a children's sermon. And she said, God responded with Ephesians 4, 29. She said that verse went through her mind. No, let no, no, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And she thought that's a pretty complicated verse for little children. But by the time she was up front, she didn't have a plan B. So she turned to this large group of children and said, do you think you could just learn one verse today? And they were a bright and eager group, and they all agreed that they could learn one verse. And she went on to tell them, anytime you study scripture, you have to ask, what does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply to me? 
If it doesn't apply to me, I might as, be, I might as well be reading another book. So first I'm going to tell you what this verse says. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And when she finished, she could tell that her large group's confidence had dropped dramatically. So they commenced taking apart the verse word for word. She pointed out that that for communication to happen, there must be a speaker and there must be someone to listen. I hear communication all the time where people are talking, but nobody's listening. And then she asked them what corrupt communication was. And one boy shouted out bad words. And she said, that's right. And And they identified corrupt communication, criticism, swearing, insulting people, vulgar language. And one little girl said, saying nasty things to your mother. So Florence told the children, this is what the verse tells us not to do. That no bad words come out of our mouth. Now, what does this verse tell us to do? The Bible never tells us what not to do unless it tells us what to do. She said the Bible tells us our words should be good, but not just good, but that words that are edifying to the listener. And she asked what the word edifying meant, and one child said words that build up someone. And then another said, like building blocks. And that caught Florence by surprise, and she wondered to herself, what if every time she talked, a little building block would lift someone up when it came out of her mouth? And she said, there are so many of us that carry around a pitiful collection of little building blocks. And as she thanked the child, another shout shout out that we should not, not knock other people's blocks down. None of us must take courses on how to say mean and nasty things. It's easy to knock others down. Nasty things or complaints come out as naturally as possible. Many of us go around not building up people, but knocking down what others have said. And then finally she asks, what does it mean to minister grace to the hearers? She asked, does anyone know what grace is? And a little girl shouted out, it's God's unmerited favor. She praised the child and asked her what that means, to which the child replied, I have no idea. And Florence said she'd learned it in Sunday school, but apparently never applied it in her life, but she complimented the child anyway. Florence went on to explain to the children, our words should be like favors to other people. We're going to say good things. Our words should minister grace to others. They should be like a little verbal present, like a little gift. So as Florence was wrapping up, saying, we're not to give out bad words, only good words, words that build up, not knock down, Words that are like a present of little verbal gifts to other people. And when Florence was feeling good that she made it through the children's service, a little girl in the back of the crowd stood up and turned around to face the entire audience and then shouted out loud, what she means is our words should be like a little silver box with a bow on top. And from that statement, Florence has written several books and spoke many speeches. And from that statement, that's a quote that I've remembered all of my all of my past 30 years. Our words should be like a little silver box with a bow on top. In another speech, Florence speaks of her mother-in-law, Fred's mother, a very proper lady that intimidated her. Late in life, they had a conversation and she asked her mother-in-law if you could have been it been or done anything you wanted in life, what would that be? And she said it would be an opera singer. 
She said she used to sing in the choir in high school and she was the lead in several plays. But her parents made her quit to focus on her studies. She never received any encouragement at all from her parents. And then late in her final days when her mother-in-law's facilities had diminished her into being cared for in memory care, she began waking up at night and singing beautiful opera. The nurses would gather and listen, and then she would lie back down as they clapped. One night they listened, and when she lied back down, she peacefully passed away. And Florence wondered, what if she had been encouraged? Florence says her mother-in-law died with the music still in her. Now, for the next couple minutes, I'm going to lead us into closing. And the next words are a quote from Florence. And you may have even heard a few of these because I've quoted Florence before. So from here on in for the next couple minutes until I say we're going to pray, these are Florence's words. I'd like you to think about your mate, your children. Are you the type of person that gives out silver boxes everywhere you go? Or are you the type of person that doesn't give out any at all or just gives out tiny silver boxes every now and then? Because you see, there may be someone waiting at home who's waiting to be encouraged and lifted up. That person might be next to you right now. Maybe you could give an encouraging word, maybe say something positive. Maybe you need to make a phone call or write a letter. Lift someone up because everybody is waiting to receive a little box, little silver box with a bow on top. So, I want to ask you today to think, do you know someone like Fred's mother, someone who has a song waiting to be sung, or art waiting to be hung, perhaps a piece waiting to be played, or maybe a scene waiting to be staged, someone that has a tale waiting to be told, or perhaps a book waiting to be sold, a rhyme waiting to be read, a speech waiting to be said. If you know someone like that, don't let them die with the music still in them. Let's pray. Dear Father, dear wonderful, incredible Father in heaven, it's so easy for us to use our words that we speak or that we type through the keyboard to hurt others with our words or our posts or our replies or our tweets. And it's so easy to find fault in others. Our prayer this morning is that we can use your Holy Spirit to find ways not only to not let corrupt words come out of our mouth, but to use our words to build up, encourage, and bless others with our words from our tongue or from our words typed by our fingers, so that we can be the light in the darkness of this world, to be so thankful for your Son, Jesus, that we live our life with joy and apply grace to others so that others might see the light that you shine through us. May we have a safe and healthy week ahead. Amen.